0: Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today, I'm joined by Emmy Brunner. Emmy is a personal empowerment and transformation coach, psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, and the CEO of the Recover Clinic. Through Emmy's personal and professional experience, Emmy works with clients to establish their trauma response and to help them develop coping mechanisms to manage difficult life events. Emmy joins us today to discuss unprocessed trauma and how this can lead to mental health difficulties, including eating disorders. Hello, Emmy.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's lovely to meet you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Pretty really good. 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 What's the weather like with you? Because this morning with me, it was so warm and windy and now it's freezing. Uh, it's pretty grim. It's really <laughs> windy here. I'm on the sea uh-huh. front, so... Oh, nice. When it's like a little bit breezy everywhere else, it is like gale force winds down here, <laughs> so.
0: I take it you're staying indoors today then so you don't get blown away?
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Um, Well, hopefully being indoors, you'll be fine. Um, So I wanted to start today by kind of um, getting an understanding of what your personal experience has been and how that has led to the role that you now do. So I wondered if you'd mind um, walking us through that,
1: please. Yeah, sure. So I think from a really young age, I struggled with eating disorders and other mental health issues that now have more formal diagnosis than Mm -hmm. they would have done when I was a kid. But uh, very generalised anxiety um, and depression as well and self-harm behaviours. And I didn't really have any uh, structured help um okay, well. my gp and the kind of nhs route wasn't very helpful for me and i saw general therapists and again none of it was very directive or helpful and so i started um doing a lot of my own reading um and this all took years of me struggling doing a little bit better struggling again um but did a lot of my own reading into to really how i was going to have any sort of sustained recovery and mm-hmm. i came to sort of understand that actually Rather than focusing on my relationship with food or my body or whatever else it was, my other anxieties I might have had, it was about thinking about the relationship that I had with myself. Hmm. Um, And then I later on went on to start to work with other people with eating disorders. And there was something really obvious to me about the way treatment was focused on an abstinence-based model. So an abstinence from behaviours. And it felt to me that actually everyone had developed all these coping strategies to try and manage the difficult things in their lives. And then the solution to that was to just try and take them away, but not necessarily replace them with anything. And that just seemed really counterintuitive, but more than that, it wasn't working for Mm. for lots of people. And the recovery rates were really, really low in facilities that were structured like that. So I set up my own... um, therapy service where we focused more on developing a compassionate relationship with yourself where you were able to kind of forgive yourself work on a lot of the shame that you felt unpack where appropriate some of the trauma that you've maybe been through and used a community to gain a sense of strength and self-worth that wasn't focused on trying not to act out on your eating disorder or trying not to act out on your self-harm behaviors but really more of a harm minimization approach where the eating disorder essentially became redundant, like it was no longer serving a purpose. Um, and that worked and that was really successful. So since then, um, I've got on to work less in a therapeutic context and more in a coaching context because it's I'm able to be a lot more directive with my work, which I find more interesting and useful for the people that I work with. Um, and I do a lot of focused coaching now on helping people to put in some tangible um tools rather than general therapy that can go on for a long time. I try and give people really practical things that they can do to instantly start to change things and see a shift mm. in how they feel. Yeah. And that's where where we are today. <laughs> Sounds
0: brilliant. Um it's something that I think has been in discussion a lot more, I mean I've noticed a lot more recently and something I've been thinking about in the sense of Um, when you go for, you know, more stereotypical eating disorder treatment, it is all focused on weight, body, Mm -hmm. shape, food, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not looking at the kind of underneath of that. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think it sounds fantastic that you're going to, you know, for me, the eating disorder is just sort of a vehicle to sort of say something's not quite right here. And also, you know, I'm, I'm using this as like a, like you said, a way of coping, Mm -hmm. um, But in in my personal experience, if I don't have the eating disorder, I just have something else that's maladaptive. It's not. that, So it's not necessarily just the food. It's just the food is a way of being like, hi, something's wrong.
1: Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think when it is all focused on body and food, you really miss the person um, Mm. within that, like who they are, their story, what matters to them what doesn't matter you know and Mm -hmm. it becomes all about trying to get them to a certain way or stop acting in a certain way and you really miss the point um because actually like you said those behaviors will just reinforce in some other area of that person's life and actually if you don't address that core wound then that person is going to remain stuck in some sense
0: yeah absolutely and when you work with um with your clients it sounds like you have a very like patient Uh, Sorry, a very client focused approach with trying to understand who they are, what they like, what they don't like. Um, Do you always use the same sort of method to work out what they should sort of replace the eating disorder with the the new coping mechanisms does it or does it depend depending on the
1: person you know what i think it's good that you said patient because i think it's patient like i think it's yeah i think that's the reason you said that so i think (laughs) it's 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 it is a much more patient model of recognizing that actually you can't kind of force somebody to do something and six weeks go right on you go you know, on your way, you'll, you'll be all right sort of thing. I think it's about having a, a more sustained and gradual sense of healing mm-hmm. that comes from the outside in. And I think as long as somebody is physically stable to do that work, then actually what you want to see is that change happening internally and resulting in external shifts, not not the other way around. I think mm-hmm. when people are forced to, to kind of exist in bodies that they find very difficult to be in, it's, it's almost re-traumatising people mm-hmm again and again which is which is what people experience going into residential treatment for sure that they get traumatized and re-traumatized and actually when you start to have relationships with people I think that's where the healing lies.
0: Yeah definitely I I think that kind of idea of um you know the the trauma around the weight gain often in services you know and i think sometimes it does need to be quick to get somebody out of a medically compromised situation um but a lot of the time i think it does happen quite quickly people aren't given the tools to navigate that and you know obviously we said it's not all about weight and shape but there is still an element of that um and that process can be you know traumatizing for patients um And that's what we were kind of going to talk about today was the aspect of trauma and how you bring that into your work. So I think the word trauma can sometimes be misunderstood. So I kind of just wanted you to explain what does it mean for you?
1: trauma is something that we all experience as human beings it's part of the nature of being human that we go through difficult life experiences that impact us Mm -hmm. so the question isn't really whether we have trauma we all have trauma the question is Mm -hmm. how does that trauma impact me and what are my Mm -hmm. tools and resources to cope when it does so I think that's the that's a really important starting point Mm -hmm. and it can be an uncomfortable place to think about what trauma you have and how it's impacted you but I think it's really important sort of own your truth like own your story um because so often i'm particularly with eating disorders treatment as we've said it it does become about other things and it's really important that you if you're struggling feel seen and heard and most mm-hmm. of all by yourself mm-hmm. and i think the eating disorder and the way that it operates it really eclipses a and really makes it difficult for people to see them beyond that diagnosis mm-hmm. so as a starting point i think it's really important that the people that i work with understand that that is one thing that they're struggling with i don't see that as the entirety of their identity and who they are
0: yeah i mean then that is so important because i think so often your identity when you're diagnosed with an eating disorder can become the eating disorder you know it takes up such a large proportion of your thinking your mm-hmm. actions your time you know, at, at some stages when I was struggling, it almost felt like a hobby because it was the only thing yeah. that
1: I did. So to yeah. unpack all of that is hard. Yeah, it becomes very habitual, I think, in its mm. nature. But you're told that you are anorexic and you are mm-hmm. bulimic, not you have. And that's a, it's a really strange language to use for mm. for an illness that is temporary and something that you've developed as a set of behaviours, and, and it's almost the way that that phrasing is articulated it it makes it difficult for people not to merge with the identity of it and because it is so all-encompassing it's in, in, in part of your life and how you're managing it just reinforces a lot of that
0: mm. yeah it's interesting actually because i i was like reading a thread on twitter the other day that was talking about language about eating disorders um and they said that they very they tr- tried really hard to not use words like anorexia or bulimia specifically and they'd say eating disorder because you'd never say to someone you're eating disorder rick um mm-hmm. but people tend to say anorexic and i mean why do you think people use that terminology do you think it's because people don't necessarily see it as recoverable or is it just something that people have slipped into
1: I think it's um I think yeah I think partly it's the stigma around mental health conditions where we, we're viewing them as things that we need to try and manage rather mm. than things that we can fully recover from that actually they're responses to difficult life events that we need to heal from that's mm. not how it's seen it's seen as this is something that you do that you have that you know that needs to be controlled and managed and uh, that whole mentality, I think, for anyone who struggles with an eating disorder, that that battle of control is such a, a complicated one anyway. And I think you know, it almost annoys when people talk about control and eating disorders because it's quite predictable. But I think it's more than just trying to control everything around you. I think it's trying to control people's perception of you because you are so um, immersed in shame that we cannot bear to be seen. And I think what happens when you have an illness, particularly like anorexia, because it's physically so evident, is that we are no longer seen. That is what is seen. And it it makes it easier for us to hide, which is why I think my commitment as a clinician is to make sure that people know that I see them beyond that. Um, It's so important because as much as we want to hide, we do want to be seen too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I especially think, you know, when you go into a treatment, Um, facility even if you you know 99.9% of you thinks you don't want to be there there's still that 0.1% that is there for some Mm -hmm. reason and Mm -hmm. and that really shouts to me that you do want to be seen Mm -hmm. so how do you help a client to be seen you know if they're completely consumed by their eating disorder how would you start to pick out what's them and what's the eating disorder
1: I think being curious about who they are is, a, is really important. So one of the things that we'll talk about is with a client who is very much used to talking about their eating soda and food and how they feel about that is almost to kind of take a complete disinterest in that and to have a complete focus on who they are whether that's like what did they like to do when they were younger what were they interested in in being when they grew up what kind of jobs were they interested in why did they pick those studies that they did at university like Really, kind of strengthening a dialogue that has absolutely nothing to do with it, because when you have an eating disorder, that's what people talk about a lot, mm-hmm. and in the treatment context, that's all people talk about is your eating disorder, with this sense of yeah, even your eating disorder. I feel uncomfortable with like you're, it's belonging to you somehow, and uh, and how you feel about that, and how you feel about the food. And I think the 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 gift with anybody being seen or heard is knowing that somebody is interested in them. And who they are. And I think the more you can help them to strengthen a narrative that is completely separate from that, the more resilient people become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: And I think, you know, um, overall in the long term, being able to have that separation between who the person is and who the eating disorder is, that to me feels something really important in recovery to be able to separate those because often they can feel so entwined. And I think, mm. like you've said, you do. Um, people do often feel like they sort of lost themselves within that um, and within the eating disorder. Do you have any strategies that you use to sort of really identify? Because I know personally, for me, there's there's times where I'm like, I don't know whether I'm doing this because I want to or because I feel like the eating disorder wants to.
1: Yeah, I think when you when you've suffered in the past, I think you always have a level of like vigilance when it comes mm-hmm. to Thoughts around body and food that you perhaps wouldn't have if you hadn't suffered. So I think that's that's part of the fallout of the trauma of, of having an illness like that. But I think um a lot of it is helping people to recognise that those thoughts that they have, um, maybe about food, are really metaphors for other things. If you're somebody who struggles with anorexia and you restrict your food, then you also restrict your Social interactions, you also re- restrict uh, the amount of fun that you have. You probably don't enjoy sex, you probably don't, you restrict lots of things in your life it's not just about food and I always think like the biggest trick in eating disorder ever played was making everybody think it was about food because it's not just about mm-hmm. food that's what makes the most noise it's what gets most attention because of the medical kind of complications around it but actually it's impacting every area of your life and if you can start to be curious about that as a sufferer and think actually what's this about why am I feeling like I need to deprive myself why am I feeling like I'm not worthy or deserving then actually you start to unpack something that's far more interesting for a person they're far more curious about than how do you feel if you eat I don't know carbs (laughs) yeah something like that I think it's just I mean, it's such a, it's so missing the point. But I think, yeah, trying to get somebody to be curious about the origins of their self loathing, I think, is absolutely key. And not being focused on how the eating disorder is presenting, because somebody who is bulimic in their presentation or they binge eat in their presentation has very similar thought patterns to somebody with anorexia somebody who binge eats will often restrict very heavily as well but because they're seen differently people treat them differently and it's and it's really wrong
0: yeah yeah I think I've always kind of well, not always but I think I've started to realize that actually the the kind of the underneath that we keep mentioning is it, it tends to be really similar. People are looking for a way to cope, um, but like you said, because the maybe presentation um, has different characteristics, it's 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 judged differently. It's kind of approached differently. Um, mm. But but actually, getting to that underneath could be a similar
1: approach. Yeah, totally. When you make the person the focus of the treatment rather than the diagnosis, that's when people start to get better because then you're building a, a relationship with a person where you're helping them to uncover cover the truth of what it is they're dealing with. Yeah, definitely,
0: yeah. Um, you mentioned when you were just talking there about self-loathing and trying to understand kind of why that comes about and how that might link to eating sort of, do you think that sometimes or maybe all the time or never, that that self-loathing is kind of c- comes from trauma or is there other things that can contribute to that?
1: No, I think that comes from trauma. I think mm-hmm. I don't think any, any of us are born thinking that way about ourselves. We're born feeling joyful and uh, adoring of the people around us and the world, and, and it's our life experiences that impact how we, we view ourselves. Um, I'll always ask my clients, what's the story you're telling yourself about who you are and your place in the world? Because it is a story. And once you can identify that, thinking about where's that story come from, is it something – that has arisen out of an experience that you had is this something you were told is it a combination of things like be curious about it um an understanding that actually our worlds are just a, a manifestation about what we believe about ourselves to be true that's it so if actually what you're experiencing isn't something you like then the story you're telling yourself is creating that so the the, the goal is to change the story to change how you're seeing yourself be curious about where that's come from yeah yeah
0: so when I first sort of um, when I first put together this episode and kind of was asking you questions in my mind when I was thinking about like unprocessed trauma and stuff like that, I was thinking about um, big events that might have happened to people and and having to work through those but the, the more I speak to you, it's kind of feeling like the unprocessed trauma that you need to work through isn't necessarily you know working through big events that happened and how that made you feel, but more. The beliefs that have developed about yourself from you know big small whatever Mm -hmm. events Mm -hmm. and unpacking those to Mm -hmm. go forwards is that am I getting the right yeah
1: I think that's it I think because we can go through kind of big traumas and actually human beings are really resilient We're able to heal, we're able to respond to really difficult life events and recover from them if we have the tools. Mm. If we have the tools, those of us that don't have the tools can get stuck and we can get find ourselves in a place where we're searching for other ways to cope. So, for me, growing up with the traumas I had some of them big, some of them smaller the strategies that I had were really limited so I developed other ways of coping it's like self-harm self-harm isn't there because we're trying to harm ourselves self-harm is there because we're trying to make things feel better which you can only ever understand if you've self-harmed right if you don't that can sound quite confusing Mm. um but it's there as a kind of way of trying to manage and cope your cope with your emotions and how you feel
0: and I think that is, um, it's something that I always try to kind of explain to people, but it's, like you say, it's so difficult to explain when you're not in the situation. You know, I, I do personally see an eating disorder as a form of self-harm. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, I'll speak to my mum about it or something and she'll be like, but why, you know, you can see that you're hurting yourself. Why can't you just eat? Um, and it's, it's, it's hard to break it down because...
1: What's the answer? Because I want to hurt myself. Mm. Yeah. So there you go. It's pretty simple. It's not what people want to hear. They're like, oh, I know. I want to hurt myself. Now, why do you want to hurt yourself? That's the question. Mm. Because whatever your answer might be, mine would have been because I feel undeserving. I feel unlovable. I feel ashamed for existing. I feel ashamed for wanting things for needing things for wanting food i'm embarrassed about wanting food yeah mm. that's the answer to the question you have to ask the right questions to get the real answers and people don't I was going to say because they don't know that's not criticism it's more mm-hmm. observational
0: yeah definitely and i guess when somebody's in that caring position you know a loved one or family mm-hmm. friend or whatever for them to hear you say well yes mm-hmm. i don't want to hurt myself um mm-hmm then that's really difficult to acknowledge
1: and to hear as well yes yeah, really difficult and I think as a software you don't necessarily want to share that with somebody that you mm. care about because you don't want to hurt them
0: mm-hmm.
1: even if yeah. you understand you're hurting them you, you don't want to share that truth because it's bleak mm-hmm. and it's painful to to acknowledge it's painful for us to acknowledge when we feel it you know let alone the people around us that care about us mm-hmm. yeah
0: but, definitely. yeah so how do you reframe that with with people you know if, if somebody let's use the example of if somebody just want to kind of hurt, harm themselves because they feel unloved and mm-hmm. how do you unpack that to then make it because you said at the start you know it's it's about um getting comfortable with yourself and building that relationship
1: mm-hmm. with yourself which mm-hmm. sounds
0: lovely but it
1: sounds mm-hmm. tough I think part of it is thinking it's it's almost kind of taking it back always why are you why do you feel undeserving and unloved let's be curious about it that's you and I, I'm i not trying to fix it I'm actually sitting here in the darkness with you and I'm not trying to pull you out of it I, w- I want you to tell me why I want to understand and I think that is a definitely a different place to be with somebody with an eating disorder because what happens when eating disorders get challenged is that us as sufferers, we move to protect the eating disorder. That's kind of the nature of the beast because it feels threatened and it feels threatened because someone's challenging our strategies for coping and we can't cope. So when somebody doesn't challenge it, when somebody is very gentle in their approach, and I would always say, used to say to clients coming into clinic, uh, you don't need to gain weight. Can you just not lose weight? Can we just Mm stabilise you for a bit? And as soon as you do that, that kind of fight for protecting the eating disorder is diminished even slightly to go let's just keep everything on an even keel for a bit as long as someone's medically stable let's just keep them stable because it gives you time then to build a relationship with a person and in the same creating time and space where you can start to talk and share rather than it being about trying to get rid of the eating disorder and and by the way you shouldn't feel like that you should feel deserving you should feel loved it's like well great but i don't Mm -hmm. so let's let's work with the truth and i think it's very difficult for people family members to to sit in that darkness with the person that they love really hard um but it's not for clinicians or it shouldn't be i think for us i think that's our job to sit in that darkness and just then that person's not alone there they might still be there but they're not by themselves anymore
0: i really like the sound of that approach because i think like you have said often when um you know when the eating disorder is challenged the the sufferer will withdraw and try and protect their eating disorder Mm because that's how it happens um and i think often because of that that it can then become like sufferer and eating disorder and clinician on the other side Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. a battle then between the two Mm -hmm. um But the approach that you have sounds much more like you're coming, you know, into the darkness with the sufferer. The eating disorder is still there, um, but trying to unpick the sufferer from the eating disorder so that they can, like we said before, try and establish who they are themselves.
1: Yeah. And like you, you've articulated it really well. It's about then that you're on the same team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're on the same team. You're going, this must be really hard for you to feel that way. And for you to have to rely on this eating disorder, Mm. why don't we see if we can introduce some other things that might be helpful for you? Mm. And someone goes, okay, because it's not about eating disorder anymore. Mm -hmm. You're bringing stuff in. You're not taking things away.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I really like that idea of um, what you said closer to the start about the eating disorder just becomes redundant. Um, And that to me sounds like such a long-term method towards mm-hmm. it of, that even sort of becomes redundant rather than ripping it away because mm-hmm. you know naturally anybody that gets something taken away from them they want it back like they, they,
1: it's not their yeah. choice mm-hmm. exactly and I think as well it feels like it kind of that level of recovery sort of creeps up on you then you suddenly mm. realize you're not motivated to act out in the same way you suddenly don't want to harm yourself anymore because you care about yourself mm. and you didn't see it coming you didn't realize when it happened but it did Mm. um and then things start to change and I think that what happens with people with eating disorders is their softness comes in you know there's such a sort of defended place of being when you're in struggle and when you allow sort of a bit of softness to come in and a bit of vulnerability that's when things really Mm. start to the magic happens Mm. yeah
0: something that I was just thinking about then when you said softness was and maybe it's not the same for everybody but i guess i just wanted to see what you thought about sort of the approach because i think sometimes when people are eating sort of recovery they can try and tiptoe around it and have Mm -hmm. like a gentle approach or other times people come in all guns blazing and it's like taking no you know taking no shit this is this is how it's being done do you think there's a better way to do it or does it depend on the person
1: um, I think the the only way to do it is by building a relationship with the person I think obviously is and this is all within the context of somebody being medically stable you know mm-hmm. if somebody's really vulnerable and they need to be refed because they're not able to have the clarity of mind to make those decisions Then that there's a different argument for that but I think if somebody is medically stable then no I think slowly slowly is always the way mm. um, I, I think as well you know thinking about if you're hurt and something is painful, or even as a child, you don't need picking up, putting together, being shouted at, and going, Right, we're going to mend this now. We're we going to do it right now. And you're going to do exactly what I tell you. You want someone soft to go, It's okay. It hurts. I oh, know. Let's make it better. Come on. That's what we want. It's what we all want. And it never changes. Mm-hmm. It's what we all want. We want nurture. And it's that kind of soft feminine energy that we need to move toward because we're stuck in that very defended masculine energy Mm. when we're in struggle um and it's what makes us feel vulnerable is why we find it difficult to admit we have needs and that we want that we want that nurture we want that softness um but there's no shame in that That's what it is to be human
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean you know when you put it like that say would you rather be just picked up and said come on we're gonna fix it or gently you know walking through it it definitely makes sense I think sometimes I just feel like it, it I guess it's not slowly processing it maybe more what I'm thinking is when it's maladaptive to be so soft it almost gives the eating of too much space because you're just kind of treading on eggshells and avoiding the difficult questions um but I guess you know thinking about it out loud you can still do that
1: slowly gentle approach but not avoid those there's a difference in being avoidant Mm -hmm. going oh I'm just taking my time and actually not not engaging um, and being avoidant but you can't be in relationship and do that Mm-hmm. So if you're in a relationship with somebody and you're showing up for somebody, then that feels very different. Um, and you can always tell when somebody's not really connected in relationship with you as a, as a clinician. Um, so I think the, the softly, softly approach doesn't necessarily mean that you, you can't be firm and you can't be mm-hmm. directive. I think you can certainly be those things, but it's got to be in co- collaboration with the person you're working with. You know, you can't drag people through it by their hair. You've got, it doesn't work like that, I don't think.
0: No, no, definitely not. And I think if you do, then that just builds up the, the barrier even more mm-hmm. to wanting to recover. How would you work with somebody, you know, because I feel like, A lot of people will, like I said before, they might have that 99.9% of them that doesn't think they want to get better, but that 0.1% is tying up. So how would you get it to a point with a a patient that they can actually start to, you know, contribute more and build that relationship with you rather than hanging on? Is it like an ongoing process
1: throughout? Yes, an ongoing process. And you'd be amazed what you achieve with just kindness, you know, Mm -hmm. Just be kind to people and take your time and invest in them. And I think offer something of yourself in a relationship like you would any other. I think that idea of having a therapist who's really opaque and sort of monosyllabic and not very engaged is not something that people find very helpful. Mm. I think having somebody who's really prepared to be in relationship with you and care about you, I think is really powerful. Um, mm-hmm. and it's what makes all the difference I think the best clinicians I know just are all heart you know all heart and really able to invest something in their clients that you can't teach or mm-hmm. learn it's just in them and I think yeah. that it's what takes you from that one percent to 3% to 5 10 20% <laughs> you know slowly yeah. slowly
0: How do you, in in, in the sense of building that relationship as a clinician, you know, and maybe this is my personality type, which is why I'm not a clinician. Um, But I always find it interesting, you know, building that relationship and then letting somebody go.
1: It's bittersweet. uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, when somebody doesn't need you anymore, it means you've done a good job. But Mm -hmm. it means they don't need you anymore and you have to let them go. That's part of the deal. Yeah. So... You know, but I've I've been really lucky with some of the clients that I've had over the years. I've stayed in touch with clients for years. Mm-hmm. One of my like oh one of my favourite clients who've struggled so much is now a clinician, or loads wow. of them are clinicians. But one of them in particular has got an amazing facility. Um, herself, uh, one is a coach who works for me. Um it's you know, <laughs> there's a lot lot of people out there. I think when you know, when you've learned what it is to recover then you're called to serve I think that's amazing
0: yeah absolutely I think that's it's incredible and it must be so lovely for you as well to be able to see that progress to to see you know see somebody in the depths of an eating disorder and now thriving it makes me
1: so proud and so (laughs) excited when they do I'm like when they do anything it's kind of incredible but I think yeah when they're called back to kind of nurture people who want who are where they once were it's really incredible yeah absolutely
0: um i was reading um i think i was reading through your instagram it might be on your website and and one other thing that i wanted to ask you about was you mentioned sort of unwell versus a well voice in trauma mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i just wanted to ask you a bit more about like what what your explanation behind that would be
1: i think like we have various different thoughts and it's easiest I feel particularly with eating disorders to almost categorize them into well and unwell thoughts. so an unwell thought is something that calls you to harm yourself emotionally or physically and a well thought is something that calls you to nurture yourself in some way so a voice that tells you to restrict purge or binge is coming from the unwell voice that we don't trust anymore mm. we, we come to not trust um and a voice that tells you to call your friend or get some support or distract or whatever it is is coming from a more nurturing place um, and I think with time you can sort of learn the difference of what they sound like mm-hmm. and learn how to trust what's coming from a nurturing place and what isn't and you know it can be sneaky that um, on my voice it can present things to you in a way that you go oh that's that's good for me though if I do that and actually it just takes a bit of practice of following thoughts through or talking about them with someone else and seeing what the outcome would be if you listen to it, but essentially, when you're in the, the the throes of an eating disorder, the the unwell voice is masterful, so it's it's calling all the shots. And what we try and do in recovery is to strengthen a more ner- nurturing, compassionate narrative that then takes charge, essentially. Yeah.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? How kind of when you're in that depth of the eating disorder, that that unwell voice can mask itself as the one that's trying to look after you. And that that well voice is actually the bad guy. Um, mm-hmm. It's an interesting shift.
1: And then through recovery, learning. Yeah. So it's always useful to have not try and do it on your own, mm-hmm. have someone else you can share it with, because sometimes when people reflect things back to you, it, it helps you to see things a little bit more clearly. Mm. Um, yeah and just a bit of practice of learning what it sounds like what it doesn't sound like can be helpful
0: Mm. yeah definitely I guess a question would be you know in in recovery and and when you're you know years on from that eating disorder the unwell voice might pop up I'm sure it pops up and then you're able to say actually I'm not going to do that because that's not positive for me but you know, if somebody starts to notice that unwell voice becoming more and more apparent and being more sneaky, how would you suggest somebody to navigate that?
1: I mean, first of all, get some support if you find that you're feeling a bit vulnerable to becoming unwell, but really focus your attention on what you want, not what you don't want. Mm -hmm. So think about upping your self-care, think about being extra kind to yourself. You're feeling, and this is true for any of us at any point, you know, if you're struggling with something, then you need to pull Pull your support around you. Give yourself more of what you need. Um, and I think what we tend to do is focus our attention on what we're resisting, what we're finding difficult, rather than thinking, actually, I really need to take care of myself even more because I've I've had a couple of thoughts that I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable with, and I'm going to share those with my therapist or my friends. I'm going to let them know that I'm, you know, I just want to be accountable a little bit to some of these self care things that I'm going to initiate. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you've knocked the nail on the head there sort of not um making yourself feel bad for having those thoughts and instead no. acknowledging them and and maybe saying them out loud to somebody or working on okay what can I do from my well voice that will make me feel better because I know that this unwell voice is coming from a bad place. Yeah,
1: the more you give that unwell voice space and attention and focus the more powerful it becomes.
0: Mm yeah
1: absolutely
0: well thank you so much um it's been a pleasure to speak to you um and I think you know I feel like this episode is going to be so helpful for people really thinking about things like trauma and I think the thing that really stood out for me was not thinking that trauma has to be such a big you know event it can be Mm -hmm. something small and they they can be life-changing but actually thinking about what that's made you rather than Mm -hmm the event itself um so thank you so much for that insight
1: yeah you're so welcome um so
0: where can people find you to find out more information about you and more tips and everything
1: um you can find the information about me at emmybrannercom and on that website it gives you information about all the projects i run all about my coaching about the therapy teams that we have and any resources that you might need you can find there Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Emmy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. But if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.